Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Turn your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be today, 1 Peter chapter 3. Years ago, my mom was a, my mom's a longtime nurse working in a hospital. Doctor came into a room and uh, said something to the effect of, well, you need to prepare yourself for the worst. Because this man, uh, his condition, he was about to die. You need to prepare yourself for the worst. And, but this man was a believer, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm about to die. I'm preparing myself for the best. I am preparing myself for what is to come. This is a time where I don't have to dread the future, where I look forward to the future. I'm amazed at how Peter writes the book of 1 Peter because they are heading into persecution, yet there's optimism, there's hope, there's renewal that he portrays in this book. He's able to say, look, the best is yet to come even in the midst of hardship that we are about to face. And so Peter is going to start today He's going to give us an attitudinal change of how we can look at, how we can deal with hardship or persecution, tough times in our lives in order to do that. So keep your Bibles open because we're going to go back and uh, read a little bit more. So 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 8. Peter does one of my favorite things as far as funny in all the Bible. Both Peter and Paul do this, and they start out with finally, the word finally, like as in as I'm wrapping it up, but then they go about two more chapters. Uh, and so some, you, you know, like that's, that's how we preachers do it. You're like, okay, in summation, you're like, we still got 20 minutes, easy. And so that's what he's doing. But he is wrapping it up in uh, verse 8, finally. All of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. Since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the faith of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for, unrighte- or for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ as Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter's going to sum up Christianity. I mean, the one word of, 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 of our faith is Jesus, but Christianity contains that. So if you were going to sum it up, Christianity, one word, it'd be very simple. It'd be love, that we love and how we love. So he's going to teach us today, make sure that we love correctly in different avenues. So first he says in verse 8, love one another. So number one, we need to love one another. That's the church. We love each other in church. Now, some of you aren't able to fully live out this this commandment right here. 
because you have a relational aspect with Sunday morning. You come and you worship with us, but you don't have a relational aspect with a group of people in the church in a group, and it's different. This environment is for the church, the body of Christ, to come together and worship, but we can't all have a relation, an a, a, a impactful relationship with one another. But we can within a group, within a group of people that we love one another, because he shows us that these cult, that these this attitude is to be cultivated. In other words, we're going to learn it, we're going to get better at it. But then he gives us some words to show us how. He says, first of all, if we're going to love one another, we need to be like-minded. We need to be unified. The military tries to unify people from the outside in. They do a pretty good job at it. But think about it. You go and you sign up and they go and they shave your head and they give you clothes and those clothes match everyone else and they give you, they, they try to make sure that there's no differentiation with the people. Why? So that we can all learn to walk and we can all learn in step to go together. Why? So that we can be, we can have a uniformity about us and they hope that the uniformity on the outside will help them be unified on the inside. We don't do that as believers. In fact, look around. We don't have a uniform. I mean, we don't, I mean, you know, about the only uniform we have at River Valley is like, you don't have to tuck your shirt. Uh, so that's it. I mean, you know, every once in a while I'll tuck my shirt and men are like, no, no, no. If you start doing it, my wife's going to make me do it and I'm out. I mean, I mean you, you know, like it's just, and so we don't have a uniform. We all, we all look different. We have different ethnicities. We have different ages. We have so much differences, but that's not the same. We want unity. The number one prayer of Jesus for the church was unity, that we are unified together. That happens when we have Jesus as Lord and we commit to River Valley and what God is doing here, and that comes out in the way that we talk and act. We might not look the same, but when you talk to someone from River Valley, when you talk to someone in the kingdom of God, there's a unity within their language. There's a unity of how they think and operate with Jesus as Lord. So he says, be unified together. Secondly, he says, be sympathetic and compassionate. Be sympathetic and compassionate. Some of you do this easily and well. Why? Because when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came inside of you and he gave you the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. You ever known someone with the gift of mercy? If you are hurting, you find someone with the gift of mercy because they, they hurt with you. They want to help you. They want to give, you know. And then there's some of us that don't have the gift of mercy. And we need to learn how to exemplify that even though we don't have it. I had to do that in the early days of, of my ministry. I would go to the hospital and someone would be like, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad that is you and not me. Uh, you're like, whoo, that, that does not sound good at all. Uh, so, I mean, but you've got to learn how to be sympathetic and empathetic and compassionate. When we, the definition is giving concern, focus, and help. We give concern, we give focus, we give help to those that are hurting, those that are going through a tough time. Listen, in our church, this, this book is written for a group of people that are going to systematically all suffer persecution. In our church, that's probably not going to happen in the near future. But there are people, there are pockets of people who are going to go through tough times. And we've got to learn how to be sympathetic and helpful to them. And then we also have to learn, love one another, how to be humble in receiving that help. 
I think a lot of us agree. They're like, I'm, I'm going to help people. I'm, what can I do? What can I do? Can I give money? Can I serve? Can I do this? We, but listen, we've also got to learn to be humble because sometimes the sympathy needs to come from someone else and be directed towards us. That's hard. That's hard. But the Bible says is that, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Within your group, we are going to have to learn how to be uh, honest and vulnerable. Uh, several years ago now, so I'm in my group, and, and I've got a great group. Like, they know how to keep secrets. They know how to, like, treat me as a real person, and, and uh, I've got a great group. But something was going uh, bad at River Valley, and I thought it was going to go one way, and it went another way. And, uh, and I, was, I was, like, torn up. The problem was I didn't know what the problem was. I knew that, that things weren't turning out the way that I thought, but I didn't know why. And so I called one of my mentors, and uh, his, or his uh, secretary was like, well, he's on a mission trip in South America. And I was like, maybe I'll just fly to South America because I, I got to find out what's going on. You, you know, I didn't even know how to diagnose the problem to begin to fix it. And so I skipped my group one week because I was just so torn up. And the next week, I was like, I told Mel was like, are you gonna, are you coming tonight? And I was like, ah, she was like, you gotta come. You have to come, and you have to humble yourself, and you have to tell them. I didn't want to do that. As a leader, I didn't want to be like, hey guys, I know I'm your leader, but I'm kind of messing it up right now. Because in my mind, they'd all be like, oh, we're out. We knew it. We knew it. You're a horrible leader. We can't trust you. You know, like that's, that's how your mind plays tricks on you. And so I come, and I'm trying to, you know, when you're a man and you're trying to keep it together, it's the worst. Because then all of a sudden, a little comes out, and you're like, yeah, here come the tears. And then you try to not cry, which makes you ugly cry. And go, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, and people are just like, settle down. You know, snot starts coming out. It's horrible. And I did that. I did that in front of my group. I was like, it's not going well. You know? And no one, no one looked at me, and no one was like, we knew it. You know, they're like, hey. We trust you. We love you. They prayed for me. They said, honestly, it's not near as bad as you think. Like perspective was really important in that moment. And, 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 and every week, hey, how's it going? Hey, you know, people were texting me and praying for me. The only reason that, I, that they were able to give uh, compassion was because I had to humble myself, and it was hard. But they were able to practice this for me. Everyone wants to do it for someone else. But you've got to learn how to be humble so that you can receive those things when they are needed. We need to learn to love one another. We need to be in community with one another at River Valley. Number two, he says, but there are people who are going to hurt you. But in verse 9, he says, don't pay evil back evil for evil or insult for insult. He said, and what he's saying here is we've got to learn to love our enemies. Love our enemies. These are people who are going to persecute the church in the days to come. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to love those people. We're going to actually win them to Christ by the way that we respond to their persecution and their hurt. Now, this is going to shock you, totally shock you. There are people within my life that don't like me. All right, it's, just, it's shocking, I know, right? I mean, you're like... What? I mean, in the ministry, I got into ministry because I liked people, and I thought if I got in, everyone was, would like me, and I was wrong. Uh, I was so wrong. And, and, and frankly, to go along through the years, there are some people I don't like. There are some people who have done me wrong. I mean, I sound like a country and western song. They, they took, you know, like, and, and there are people who have, who have hurt me, 
And uh, the Bible says, don't pay back insult for insult. So here's what I've done over the years. I've prayed for them. I've prayed for them. Uh, and part of the reason that I pray is because I don't want to let bitterness set in. Here's how you know bitterness is setting in. When you hear of something or see a certain person or, you know, like something happens in your life that reminds me of that, you immediately get angry. You immediately get bitter. It means, okay, I've still got this thing going on inside of me. I still got this. And so I've got to pray for that because that bitterness can take hold. And that even the mention of that person or that situation can just ruin what would otherwise be a fantastic day. And you're just angry, and you're just mad in that. So, I've tried to pray for those people. Now, here's what I've learned from this text that has greatly, greatly helped me. He says in there, you want to, um, you want to not pay back insult for insult, but you want to give them a blessing so that you can inherit a blessing. So, this is the exercise I did. If you want to really take this to the next level, this is what I did. List out all the blessings that you want from Jesus. That's fun. That's a fun. That's like, that's like uh, you know, your grandparents saying, what do you want for Christmas? I mean, you know, like when, uh, when my kids were little, we'd be like, here's how much we have to spend on Christmas. And one of our kids would be like, well, I'd like something more expensive than that. And we'd say, well, go ask your grandparents. Uh, yeah, you know, like, I mean, that was easy, right? And so, they, man, they, they, they love you a whole lot more than us. I mean, that, that's... And it's, I mean, think about that. Think about with Jesus. Think about getting to, like, literally write out a blessing list. These are the things that I'm praying for blessings in my life. This is what I'm praying for in my marriage. This is what I'm praying for with my children. This is what I'm praying for at River Valley. This is what I'm praying for in my finances. And you just pray, like, all of these blessings, and you literally list them out. You, and it's, it's fun. It is really, really fun. And, and it's okay to, to ask God of even for gifts, things that you don't need. It's okay. But then the point of this exercise is once you get all those really listed out, then you turn around and you pray those for your enemy. You pray those exact blessings over your enemy. So you don't just pray, God bless them, or God don't let me be bitter. You pray, all right, Lord, here's what I'm praying for in their marriage. All right, Lord, I'm praying for a raise for them. All right, Lord, I'm praying for a really great uh, set of friends. All right, God. And you're praying specific blessings, the same ones that you want. You're praying that over your enemies. Not just in a general sense, praying for someone. You're praying specifically for your enemies, for those who have hurt you and done wrong. So this is the way I wrote it. The blessings you want to inherit are the blessings you should pray for your enemies. Put that up there, please. The blessings you want to inherit are the blessings you should pray for your enemies. It is liberating. And I mean that in the true sense of the word. It is freeing so that you don't have to live in bitterness and anger every time you see them or every time their name is mentioned. And I mean specific prayers. It's a wonderful, wonderful exercise. I've done it multiple times over the last about month uh, as I've studied this text. Next he says you should seek, in, in the end of verse 11, he says you should seek peace and pursue peace with people. It's, we should not only seek to forgive and, and to bless, we should try to reconcile if we, if we can. We should seek peace. One of the things I want to really uh, uh, make sure that you understand is that if you bring this um, dynamic into the social media realm, social media is an unwinnable debate. 
It, 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 you will lose every single time. Don't, it, it's not meant for that. It's not meant, even if you mean it for good, like you don't have tone or context within a tweet, and so it, it will be taken in the tone of, oh, I hope they're, pre-, you know, like that, and it's not going to work. It's an unwinnable debate. The moment that you take it outside of a relational aspect into the larger social media world, it's an unwinnable debate. So don't do that. Try to uh, person to person. Now, there are times that we need to, we need to forgive 100% of the time. There are times that we don't need to seek full reconciliation. If the, if the person on the other end is, is, is not going to change the way that they act within the relationship that hurts you, you shouldn't just continue to, to uh, avail yourself to that. So I have a, I have a family member um, who uh, was, was very abusive to another family member. Uh, and uh, uh, they were they were just they were crazy, uh, just I mean just truly truly like mentally crazy. And uh, uh, I didn't see it as much when I was a child, but when as I grew up, I began to see it and hear the stories more and more and more. And uh, it began to come into my family as well because this this family m- member would you know just things would be going great, and then all of a sudden they just say something, and you're like, whoa, man, you just you just pulled out like a whole bag of crazy uh just right there right and so uh some of you some of you you're like ah, it's, it's uncle bob it's uncle, right i mean you know, you're like and and so so that's true so so what i had to do especially when i had children uh i didn't want to bring them into that world i didn't want to every single time that we were around this family member bring them into the world where we had to like guard them you, you know like like watch out there's the bag if she starts going for the bag you got to run away uh you, you know that kind of thing i was like i'm not doing that with my life and so we had to uh we we, we couldn't be reconciled because they, they wouldn't get help and so we were forgiving i, I have no animosity uh, i have no uh, anger truly truly uh, i pray uh, for them but uh we're not going to reconcile we're not going to be around them uh because they they refuse to uh do right in the relationship and so i want to give you that freedom if that's where you need to be but uh Forgiveness is not optional. To love your enemies, to not return insult for insult is not optional in those, in those things. And so then he gives us in verse 13 through 17, he gives us a whole list of things to just understand about suffering within our enemies. Uh, the first one is in verse 13. He just says, hey, look, don't suffer. Most of the time we don't suffer for what, for what is good. In other words, if you're doing right, you suffer less. If you are doing right in relationships, if you are doing right in your job, if you are doing, like, you're going to suffer. There's just natural consequences, so you're going to suffer less. Now, there's going to be times that we're going to suffer specifically because we are believers. But he says in here, don't suffer for doing bad things. That makes no sense whatsoever. Don't, you know, don't be a murderer and then say, oh, I'm suffering. You know, you're, you're being punished. And that's an extreme example, but it helps us understand we have to do good. We have to do right because then we don't suffer as much. Our life is more peaceful within our life. Also in verse 16, he says, answer the accusations of others with gentleness, not harshly. Answer, answer like try to diffuse the situation, not, not throw fire or not throw uh, gasoline on the already fire. Try to diffuse it. Try to answer gently. Here a few years ago, um, I guess uh, I was backing out. This is before, you know, you had a camera. uh, And I was backing out. And I guess I got close to some people. I did not see them. Uh, and and, and uh, the man came up, and man, he was like, you're just trying to run us over. And, uh, and, and, and I, uh, 
you know, at first I wanted to go, uh-uh, you, you, you know, like, I mean, I was like, I'm not trying to run you over. Um, but, but then, I mean, he was angry, and I just, I, I, I stopped him, and I grabbed his shoulder, and I said, I am so sorry. I, I did not see you. I, I'm, I didn't mean to do that. Please forgive me. And I said, I, I did it, but I didn't mean to. Please, for it, it's amazing how that brings in calmness into the situation. Because I could have told him, I didn't mean to, right? Which was true, but it didn't help. We've got to learn to answer gently. Now, I gave you one example of like 30 that I've done improperly, uh, but I'm keeping that one. All right, so here we go. So, and then in verse 17, it's sometimes God's will for us to suffer. We need to understand this sometimes God's will, but we need to use our conscience correctly so that we don't suffer inappropriately. Your conscience, the first time that you sin, is going to, whoa, 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 hey, your, the Holy Spirit is going to tell you, stop, stop. The Holy Spirit speaks loudly. Your conscience speaks loudly at first, but they are easily muffled. They, so be careful. Listen the first time. Don't continue to go down that road. So we need to love one another. Secondly, we need to love our enemies. Verse 10, for the one who wants to, we need to love life. Verse 10, we need to love life. Some people are naturally pessimistic. They are naturally Eeyores. Some people are naturally optimistic. They are just like, whoo, you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a natural optimist. I, uh, I can look in the mirror and uh, be like, man, I am overweight and bald, but I am just a few short sit-ups away from it all turning around. I, really, I mean, I just, I believe that with all my heart uh, every single time that I look in the mirror. Uh, and so, so we need to learn how to love life within those moments. So how do we do that? Let me tell you two incorrect ways. In, in hard times, which if you want to love life, you can't just endure hardship. And a lot of us do that. They're just going to put our nose down. We're just going to hunker down. We're going to get through it. You know, like people do on the coast with uh, all the time. People do that all the time with, uh, with hurricanes. They're like, I'm just going to hunker down. You know, like the like, you know, 180 mile an hour winds go, whoa, 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 stop. He's hunkered. We can't mess with that. All right, you're, you're, that, that doesn't work. And it doesn't work in hardship. It's just like, I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through it. It might ease up. Time might kind of alleviate some of the problems. I, I get that. But, but it's not a solution. It's not a solution because God's working in the midst of this hardship. And so to just hunker down and do nothing, it's not going to work. Endure it, it doesn't work. The second one, which I think is the most common, is, is escape the problem. This is like running away. This is drugs. This is too much alcohol. This is excessive screen time. This is pornography. This is things that we do to help us forget or alleviate pain. And we do these things and we try to escape the pain through these areas, and they work for a little while. We stop thinking about it. We stop, we stop feeling the problem. We stop uh, uh, living in the problem. The, the problem is, is that as soon as the, the effect of those dissipates, the problem comes back and it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit harder. And so we're actually increasing our problems in those moments when we try to escape those problems. The, the correct thing is to learn to love life, to enjoy life in this moment. Now, I want to be careful here, because the last thing I want you to hear is like this really trite, um, hey, times are tough, but you can enjoy life, okay? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't help a whole lot, unless you understand what I mean. 
unless you understand how it works. We often think of our lives like peaks and valleys. Peaks, everything is good. My wife loves me. The kids are great. My job is progressing. Uh, my health is fine. You know, just, oh, woo. Valleys, oh no. My wife doesn't like me as much. My kids are messed up. My job isn't, you, you know, all of these. And, and that's not how life works. It's never all good. And it's never, ever all bad. It's not. So instead of thinking about peaks and valleys, what I've found is very helpful is to think about railroad tracks. Railroad tracks, there are going to be some things in your life that are hurting, that are bad, that aren't good in your life. There's going to be some problem areas in your life. But if you choose to focus all of those, you forget on the other side of your life that there are some things that are going really well. And God is blessing within your life. And most of the time, we have some of each. Now, sometimes we have almost all of this, and a few times we might have almost all of blessing, but most of the time they run parallel, and that's what our life runs down. And it's not that we ignore the problems. We've got to face into those problems. But we cannot forget to be gracious and thoughtful to God for the blessings. You've got to learn to live on this parallel life and to enjoy life within those moments that God has given you because your health might be suffering, but your marriage is strong. Your finances might be hurting, but God is good and he's on the throne. He has promised he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And the Bible promises, Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18, that we, our prayers won't be hindered when we uh, uh, are, are living for Christ. And he says in verse 17 and 18, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. One of the best things about living for Christ in the time of, of hurt or persecution is the simple fact that we can pray to God and sometimes he just ends the suffering. Sometimes he takes away from us. Sometimes it's not what he wants in those moments, or he alleviates, or he diminishes that suffering. Man, that's a great way to think and to understand that God has something for us in those moments. So let's make sure that we look at, uh, we had to practice this when, during the fires. We had a gratitude journal on our, on our kitchen table. We were in a rent house. You know, we lost our home in the fires. We lost uh, all our possessions, and uh, we practiced gratitude for a year. Because there were some tough times. There were some really tough seasons. It was very difficult uh, for me personally. But there were times where it was just as bad as it could be. And you had to go and write like, we have insurance. Like we lost everything, but we're going to get everything back. Like, you know, we, 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 our house burned, but we're building a new house. And today they did the survey. Today they poured some concrete. And you have to remember all along the way that God is good. Here's our example. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient. But when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and power subject to him. 
So our ultimate example of suffering well is Jesus on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. He died once and for all. His sins, uh, our sins are forgiven for him. And so today we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate communion together because of what Jesus did. Now I want to be so careful about the Lord's Supper. This is a picture of what Jesus has done. We handed these out freely, and anyone can take it. But listen, the Bible says that if you are an unbeliever, if you take it in the wrong way, you are heaping persecution on yourself. You are heaping hardship on yourself. And so we're going to go through an exercise in a moment, but let's make sure that, uh, to, to be clean before God. But let's make sure before that that we are believers in Jesus. The righteous died for the unrighteous. He died once for all of my sin, past, present, and future. He died once for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And so when we talk about the body uh, being, shed, or being bruised and beaten, Jesus literally died on the cross for us. When we talk about the blood being shed, the Bible says, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Jesus forgives us for those in that way. So Jesus is all-powerful in this situation. His gracious plan is unstoppable. His throne's power is invincible. His precious promises are immutable. His great salvation is incorruptible. His perfect covenant is irrevocable. His spiritual blessings are innumerable. Jesus is the God who suffered for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Let's pray and let's live that out right now. I invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. Do you have a relationship with God and salvation in Jesus Christ? That's who celebrates today the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the God who loved you so much that he died for you once and for all so that you can live for him. Have you had your sins forgiven through the lordship of Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his burial in the tomb, through his resurrection on Easter Sunday, that you have willingly submitted your life to Christ as Lord? If not today, don't look to the Lord's Supper to save you. Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who loves you. Jesus is the one who sets you free. Look to him alone for salvation. Look to him alone for forgiveness. Today you can ask him to forgive your sins. You can declare to him that you believe that he died on the cross for you, that he was buried, he came back to life. For those of us who are believers in Christ, the Bible says is that we should examine ourselves because Christ died for our sins once and for all, but we continue to sin. So we've got to look through our life and we've got to confess sin. It helps us to understand the importance of what we are doing. And so I want you to invite the Holy Spirit right now to just go through your life. Holy Spirit, show me my mind and what I've thought. And anytime he shows you a sin, confess that. That means just tell Jesus, this is what I did. This is what I thought. Holy Spirit, show me my eyes and what I've looked at. Show me my ears 
and those things that have been pleasing to you that I've willingly listened to. Jesus, show me my mouth and what I've said. Show me my heart and the emotions and the attitude with which I have displayed my life. Jesus, show me my hands and what I've done. Show me my feet and where I've gone. Holy Spirit, show me anything that's displeasing to you. When he shows you those pictures, just confess, I did this, I said this, I went, just tell him. Jesus said on the night that he died, he's making a new covenant with us. The covenant of God is he is God and we are his people. And so the tie-in is you see that God is, you want Jesus to not be just the Lord who takes you to heaven when you die. You want Jesus to be the Lord of your mind of your ears, of your eyes, of your mouth, of your heart, of your hands, your feet. Jesus, be the Lord in everything. I, I agree with your covenant. You are in control. You are the Lord of my life. In order to ratify this covenant, Jesus' body was nailed upon a cross with our sins upon it. So you can take the bread out of your cup. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for the covenant. I will live willingly in it as we take and eat together. Next, Jesus took the cup, said, this is my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So today, as you confess your sins, you can be assured that you can walk away in freedom. Those sins are no longer with you. The Bible says they are taken as the east is from the west. You don't have to live in guilt and pain and shame of the past. Jesus died for that to set you free so that you could walk away in freedom in Christ. Father, thank you for the blood that was shed willingly by you for my sins for the sins of the world, so that we may be forgiven. Let's take and drink of the cup together. Lord Jesus, we praise you today for the covenant that you have given us. God, we willingly live in that covenant. We bow our knees in every area of our life. We worship the one true God who has been resurrected from the dead. We thank you today in Christ's name, amen. You guys stand to your feet and let's worship God together. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.